Good morning, Chapel Roswell. Can we give the band another round of applause? They do such a great job of glorifying God every week, so thank you all for that. Uh, I'm grateful that God has gathered all of us this morning to uh, gather in fellowship and worship and to hear his word. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the question, uh, what does it look like to be a friend to someone in the depths of their suffering? That's the question that I'd like us to think about and talk about with each other today. With generous help and guidance, of course, from the book of Job and and God's word therein. Uh, This is a question I hope uh, that'll be one that's relevant and timely for all of us today. Uh, Summer is right around the corner. The vaccines are making their way across the country and the world, and it looks like by the grace of God, we are nearing a time where once again we can actually be there with one another, not just on a Zoom call, not just in spirit, but physically be with each other. And all of us, rightfully so, have spent a lot of time over the last year or year and a half thinking about and working on our own relationship with God. Maybe that means that we've taken the last year to get better at being there for ourselves, supporting ourselves emotionally and mentally, or getting in touch with the grace and forgiveness that God gives us and calls us to know in our heart. But with real social life and actual possibility for us right around the corner, we may have to learn or even relearn what it means to truly be there for someone else in community as a friend. And being there for someone as a friend doesn't just mean sharing in the successes and the good times as we like to do, but it means sharing in the hard times and in the failures as well. So, Chapel, turn with me to Scripture, and we can return again to the book of Job, chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Here in the story, we're introduced to Job's three friends, and most of us might know them as the miserable comforters that Job goes on to describe them as later in the story. The story we know is that his friends see Job and his suffering, and they go on to try to explain away his pain. They try to justify it. They tell him what he's done wrong in the past that's got him to his present state of suffering, and what he can do right now to stop the pains that he's experiencing. And it's true, they do indeed go on to do and say all of these hurtful and unhelpful things, but that comes later in the story. And initially, it seems that they actually aren't being the miserable comforters that Job will later describe them as. So first, what do they do? Let's turn to Scripture. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all these troubles that had come upon him, each of them set out from his home. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. They met together to go and console and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they didn't recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept aloud. They tore their robes and threw dust in the air upon their heads. They sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. The word of God for the people of God. So what do we see them do? We see them 
sharing in his suffering. They share in his grief and in his tears and in his pain. And this part of the story early on in the book of Job is so incredibly easy to miss if we want to rush ahead and get right to the good stuff, the meat of the book of Job. But I think it's so incredibly important that we don't miss this part of the story because it's there for a reason. And while God goes on later to shame Job's friends for judging him and justifying his pain, we we don't see that condemnation here. No, what we see here is consolation and comfort. We see what happens when God sends a good friend into our life at our most painful moment. Because, folks, that's exactly what happens. God sends us as friends to those that need him. Or sometimes God sends those that need him to us so that we can be a friend for them and show them the love that Jesus said people would know us by. And here with God's, Job in wor- uh, God's word in Job, God gives us a perfect example of just what it is to be a godly friend. Of course, Job's situation was an extreme one. His children had all died and his wife had cursed him. His livestock and crops had died and with them so had his livelihood. All of Job's property had been destroyed and his health had gone from him. Now, most of us, God forbid, aren't going to have to be there for someone in as dramatic a situation as this. Now, I think what's much more likely is that we're going to have to be a friend for someone who's suffering in much less visible and dramatic and therefore much more insidious ways. Things like depression or anxiety or extreme grief and trauma are far more common today than the extreme losses that Job suffered here. So I found an interesting study that looked at a group of around 8,000 people that were struggling with mental health issues. A certain number of that larger group went on to seek help. And what the study found was, was breathtaking to me. What they found was that more people that sought help for their mental health issues actually went first to a church than those that went to a therapist or a psychologist. I mean, think, think about that. How incredible is that? What a blessing that is. Because there's people out there in the world that are in pain, that recognize the relief and the rest that God has, that Christ offers to all of us, and they went out and they sought it. Now, to their great surprise and shock, though, when they opened those church doors, they didn't happen to see Jesus standing there with arms wide open, waiting to embrace them and soothe their pain. Now, much more often, what they found were humans with arms crossed, ready to tell them what they needed to do to work their way out of that pain, ready to judge them. 
And it's a sad fact of life. It's a hard truth that we as a church in this have failed. The people that come through those doors right there need to find the consolation and comfort offered at the beginning of Job's story. And instead, oftentimes, they find their ways blocked by miserable comforters. Christians who are all too ready to judge and justify and explain and direct. And this, Chapel Roswell, is where we need a change. Because all of us here as a church, as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, followers of the way, we all have a great, dire, and incredibly urgent responsibility. Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world and that those suffering out there see the light and they come running. We can praise God for that. When people in pain and in grief and tears enter those church doors, they need to find us sharing in that grief. No one's speaking a word because we see that their suffering is so very great. God gives us this story, the story of Job, so that we can see an example of what a true friend is for those that are in pain. And no, badly, no matter how badly we might want to impose our own will and understanding on the situation, well, listen, you're suffering because you didn't do this or you did this or you're in pain because you don't go to God in prayer enough you're in tears because you've got some great sinful secret that you haven't yet repented from. No matter how true all of this may be, no, we cannot lead with that. God's word here in the story of Job won't let us do that. The story of Job shows us what it is to be a true friend, sent with godly comfort, and consolation, and what it is to be a miserable comforter. So again, I ask you, how can we be a friend to those in their suffering? That's what we're thinking about today. And I say, let's be like Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar here at the beginning of the story, but let's not go on to make the same mistake that they made in trying to explain their friend's suffering away because what, what did they expect of Job? What do we expect when we do that? Did they expect for Job to wipe away his tears, look up from the ground with a smile on his face and say, ah, my dear friends, you know what, you're right. I should have just prayed more. I shouldn't have made that mistake back there that got me to my present suffering here. Now that you've explained it in, in perfectly logical human terms, I understand my wrongs and my suffering is gone. It's no more. No. Of course, it doesn't work like that. There's simply no quicker way to shut down a potential moment 
of love and compassion and comfort and consolation than by expecting that. Because sometimes, in fact, I would wager most of the time, what that person in pain needs, the person that walks through those church doors in tears, what they need is not a logical solution to or explanation of their problem, but what they need is a shoulder to cry on and a brother or sister in Christ to cry with. What people need to find when they come into the church is someone that's willing to sit on the ground with them in tears, indeed to weep aloud with them. What's so much more comfortable for us and easier to do is, again, to try to explain away their pain, to try to make it make sense to us and to them. But that's not what God here in the story of Job and the gospel of Christ tells us to do. Now, what are we called to do? We're called to pick up our cross and simply share in the suffering and pain of others. In that initial moment of deep grief, when someone walks into this building because they didn't know where else to turn, so they turn to God, they need someone to pick up their cross and lighten their load. Folks, what's equally important, and we can't forget this, we shouldn't forget this, is that conversations about sin and repentance do need to come to those in pain. But I believe that those conversations about sin and repentance can't happen in any sort of constructive or helpful way until we at least attempt to form a relationship with the person that we're ministering to. So please don't misunderstand me. I don't mean to say that as a church we simply comfort the people that come in to here, give them a hug, and send them on their way with a smile on their face, with some happy thoughts in their head, without ever telling them the good news of the gospel because that comes and it must come. But first, let us show the other directed love that Christ calls us to live out, knowing very well that this love does indeed lead to repentance and acceptance of Christ. I want to tell everyone in here today that we have lots of ways to do this, lots of opportunities to get involved, to be a friend in love. And if you're interested in being there for someone as a friend, as God calls us to do, we have ministries like the Stephen Ministers that you can get involved with. And once we meet someone with comfort and consolation and the ministry of presence in their moment of despair, the help does not stop there, folks. Now, RUMC has the incredible blessing to be able to offer so many opportunities for help. We have several support groups for individuals dealing with specific issues like grief or death in the family. We have a number of 12-step programs that minister to those that are suffering from addiction. So today, whether you're called by the Spirit to offer support for others beyond that initial moment of comfort and consolation, or whether you're in need of further support and presence yourself, you are in the right place. And after this sermon, if you're interested in those opportunities, we're going to provide further contact information 
on all of our social media platforms. You can go to uh, chapel.com slash care, rumc.com slash care, I think. Either way, we'll get that to you. Even more, you can come talk to me or Marion or Shauna or anyone here on the leadership team. And if we don't know where to point you, we will find you someone that does. So today, let us take this as an opportunity to meditate on what Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, these miserable comforters as we've come to, to know them, let's meditate on what they did right for their friend. Let's take this day to see what it means to be a friend led by the Holy Spirit of God. And by doing this, we can lead those in pain and in suffering to the great physician, the great healer, the only healer, because it's not me that heals, it's not you that heals, but it's Christ that heals, and we can lead them to the great healer that is Christ. Would you pray with me? God, we have failed in loving others. We know this. So often we desire to love others in a way that we see fit. But God, may we love others as you command, as you see fit. Because God, we love you and we love your word and your spirit. And only ask that we can meditate here on your word in the book of Job to show us what it means to be a true friend in love. Thank you, God, for this story and the time that we get to gather here in our fellowship. God, may we no longer persist in our sin of self-defined love of others, but take on the example of Christ and carry our cross, carry the pain of others. Amen.